Almost 20 years ago now, I had a young friend who was a Christian rocker. He had his own band. He was very cool. And he told me a story about a time when he was in Ireland at the Cliffs of Moher. How many of you have seen the Cliffs of Moher? Some of you? Yeah. Well, he described the beauty of the Cliffs of Moher, and he was just overwhelmed. He saw the the green of the grass and the blue sky and the waves below just crashing against the shore with these cliffs that cut down, and he was just so overwhelmed with God's goodness. And he was not a guy prone to singing hymns, but he was so moved that he stood back and he couldn't help himself. He started singing the same words that we sang this morning. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. So he's telling this moving story about how he was overwhelmed at God's beauty and majesty and goodness, and all I could do was laugh. Because I too have been to the Cliffs of Moher, but although this is what he saw, this is what I saw. Uh huh. Nothing. Fog, fog, and more fog. Our family crapped in our little mini vehicle up over this tiny path and down the other side, and I went into a shop and I said, did we just pass the Cliffs of Moher? And the woman said, yes, it's beautiful. Would you like a postcard to see what you missed? And I was like, no, thank you. Anyway, well, for some of us, whether we can actually see the Cliffs of Moher or it's just fog, we connect with God, we sense God's presence, we learn more about God being in creation. But for some of us, it just feels like fog, and we're like, whatever, right? It takes all different types, which is why we've been in this series. So the series is built around the idea that God has wired us in different ways to be connected to God, to be connected, frankly, to each other. We started off talking about the intellectual path and then worshiping God in worship services. And uh, then last week, Carrie talked about uh, how you connect to God in service. Next week, uh, Melissa is going to finish the series talking about how some of us most powerfully connect with God through relationships. And today, it's, it's uh, nature. Now, I, I, I got to say that nature is not my natural pathway. Creation is not my natural pathway. But I read a book about nature once. And, uh, and, and John Calvin, the great theologian, uh, says that so often intellectuals ignore that nature, that creation is God's fifth gospel. In other words, creation is a way that God speaks about himself. So that's, that's why it's important for us to figure out why is this series significant for us? If nature is God's fifth gospel, it's supposed to teach us how to get close to God. The scriptures say, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. If you seek God, you'll find him. But for what purpose do you seek God? The Apostle Paul gave a hint once. He he said it's like talking, it's like looking in a mirror. This is what he said. 
but all of us with unveiled faces. Look in a mirror to see the glory of God. And as we look into the mirror to see the glory of God, we are being transformed into the same image as God, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So, so the idea is that when we connect with him, we see him, when we see him, we become like him, regardless of which path we use. Now, like John said, uh, creation is not his natural spiritual pathway, but it, it is mine, so he invited me to, to join him in speaking this morning, and I would like to start by just making the case for creation being Jesus' spiritual pathway also. Let me just have us take a look. So we wrong. see that we have the Sermon on the Mount outside, right? We've got the calming of the storm, We've got the catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee, and we've got the lilies of the field, for Pete's sake, right? Jesus was an outdoor guy. I'm thinking creation must have been a spiritual pathway. Some of you, I know, are saying, no, no. Probably Jesus was a contemplative because it says he went out early in the morning by himself to pray while it was still dark. But I would say, where did he go? The mountainside, right? Obviously, I'm just kidding. We all have different spiritual pathways, and it's great for us to step into each of them. Last week, I love the image that Carrie used. She talked about stretching our spiritual muscles. She start, talked about it, um, having new muscle memory. Just because creation is my spiritual pathway doesn't mean it's not important for me also to pursue the intellectual pathway. And obviously, read the Bible or to pursue the worship pathway and, and worship God. Just like with our spiritual gifts, just because I don't have the gift of mercy doesn't mean I'm not called to be merciful. So we're all called to stretch in different ways. And when I started thinking about this spiritual pathway of creation, I came across a passage in Acts that we're going to look at today. Now we're talking a book. <laughs> and, uh, and it's right in the middle of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early uh, church that we find the Apostle Paul, who clearly is an intellectual in his understanding of God, and he's addressing the people of Athens. Now, Athens at that time is filled with uh, educators and philosophers, people who gather all the time to hear the latest idea. This group doesn't believe in any one thing. They believe in all things. They love to think and argue and they didn't deal well with absolutes. As Paul enters the city, he sees that plethora of different ideas in the different temples that they had made. One altar in particular catches his eye, and he starts his speech to the Athenians this way. He says, I couldn't help noticing that you have an altar dedicated to the unknown God to an unknown God, and, and this altar serves as the hook that the Apostle Paul uses to introduce his God, the living God, the maker, the creator of heaven and earth. And that's where we pick up the story. In Acts 17, Paul says, so the God who made the earth and everything in it, this master of sky and land, 
doesn't live in custom-made shrines, doesn't need the human race to run errands for him as if God couldn't care for himself. God makes the creatures. The creatures don't make God. Starting right from the scratch, he made the entire race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for life so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find God. God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. God is not remote. He's near. We live and move in God. We cannot get away from Him. Paul contends that this is the real God, the maker God. He can't be squeezed into an image or confined to a temple or a religion. He doesn't need assistance from human beings. And then Paul goes on and he shows that not only is God the big God who transcends, who makes and transcends everything, this God is also personal and intimate and close. Remember verse 27, it says, He's not remote, He's near. In Him we live and move and have our being. We cannot get away from our God. So Paul is talking about these two big words, that God is both transcendent, he's above all and before all things, but he's also imminent. He is close and he is in all things and he is in us through his Holy Spirit. Transcendent and imminent. I love the way that our friend Mark Batterson says this. If you can't remember those big words, you can remember this. God is bigger than big, closer than close, and gooder than good. God is bigger than big, closer than close, and gooder than good. Or transcendent and imminent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For you intellectuals. <laughs> William Berry adds this. He says, whether we are aware of it or not, at every moment of our existence, we are encountering God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is trying to catch our attention, trying to draw us into a reciprocal conscious relationship. So whether our spiritual pathway is creation or worship or intellectual or whatever, don't you feel like we can become oblivious to God? We can go through life kind of like on autopilot. Like even if your spiritual pathway is worship, maybe you find yourself sing singing the words, but you're really not thinking about them. You're thinking about your kid's soccer game later in the day or your to-do list or whatever. Or maybe your pathway is intellectual and you're sitting and you're reading God's word, but um, you're really not thinking about it. You're more about checking it off your to-do list. The same is true with creation. We need to pay attention, to be present to God, to notice him. So I'd like to share three benefits that I see when we come into connection with God through creation. The first one is when we encounter God in his creation, one of the benefits is greater humility, I would say. Remember in the Acts passage that John read, it says he makes the creatures, the creatures don't make him. Hmm. Creation puts us in our proper place. I love this verse from uh, Isaiah 40. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of his, the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not 
one of them is missing. Amazing. He calls them all by name? Wow. I love the story of Teddy Roosevelt. It's said that he had a guest over for dinner one night, and this guest was an intellectual, and they had this um, wonderful, stimulating conversation and debate around the table, and then Teddy invited his guest out onto the lawn, and together they were silent, and they gazed up at the heavens. And after a few minutes of silence, Teddy said this, now that we are sufficiently small, we can go to bed. Now that we are sufficiently small, we can go to bed. Creation right-sizes us. So we may become, we may experience greater humility, and then the second really ties into that. As we are humbled before God, we are able to rest. Now, I wanna ask you, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you truly uh, observe a Sabbath? a day of rest? Do you have really a whole day that you rest from all the to-dos and the, the stuff of life and the noise and you truly rest? We are such doers, aren't we? My family will tell you, I am like glued to my to-do list. I love my to-do list. I love checking things off my to-do list. I love doing things and then adding them to my to-do list and checking them off. Literally, literally <laughs> she will do something and go and write it down and check it off. And a lot of you are yeah, the same. You are. You do it too. You do it too. You know it. Yeah. But the problem is when we are so tied to our to-do list, we get lulled into thinking that our identity is in what we do for God instead of our identity just being in the beloved children of God. The thing is, getting out in creation reminds us that the sun is going to rise, the sun is going to set, with or without my help. I'm not God, and the world is going to keep spinning, even if I'm unplugged. God's got the God thing covered, and he doesn't need me. So we can relax. We can rest. We can Sabbath. Creation is that reminder that God will keep the world spinning without us. The third benefit I see is that connecting with God in creation prompts us to worship. It has the benefit of resulting in worship. In Romans, Paul says that no one has any excuse not to worship God because he's revealed himself in creation. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they and we are without excuse. It's like God has post-it notes all over the world, all over the creation, post-it notes that say, remember, I'm with you and I'm worthy of worship. Remember, I'm here, I created this and I'm worthy of worship. And yet there are some cautions for those of us with the spiritual pathway. And, and sometimes it's easier for people for whom this is not your primary pathway to, to see that. And uh, so as I look at those of you who feel like you come alive to God in creation, I frankly, I rejoice with you and sometimes, sometimes I envy you. I, I tried nature once. Um, but I love its power. Here's 
one of the cautions I'd offer. People who love the God of creation can often confuse the creation with the Creator. We can fall in love with the creation and it becomes our God. There's a big difference there. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. But that means that God is using creation to talk about Himself, not that God is somehow the creation itself. And the way that we know that is because God comes into His creation in flesh. Jesus comes into this world and He says, I have come that you might know life to the fullest, that you might have life in all its fullness. And what we learn from that part of the story is we can only get the fullness of life, the restoration of life, the renewal of life through a Savior. Not just a creation, but a Savior. So some of us who are so in love with creation, and I, I would be a, a proudly green Christian and a member of the Audubon Society, love that, but I don't want to confuse that with the God who made creation. The, the second caution I'd have for those of you who are creation-oriented comes from John Orper. John says that people on the creation pathway need to guard against using creation as an escape. They get away from people. We forget that human beings are part of creation too. But when people disappoint us or people hurt us, we're tempted to run away into the woods. Folks in our day are often likely to say, I, I don't need church. I can worship God on my own in nature. And I think you can have spiritual experiences, but of course we need to learn to see beauty wherever God creates beauty, and people, according to God, people are the most valued creation of all. So when the next time you hear somebody say that they are spiritual but they're not religious, be glad with them that they have meaning in their life. But realize that creation doesn't address the brokenness inside of us or between us. That takes a Savior. That means that when we use our pathway of creation, we should rejoice, but we should also take action. Whether we are old or young, whether we're single or married, have families, God desires to reveal himself to us. So I'd like to suggest several action steps, and obviously they involve getting out in nature, but um, there's some more specifics to those. The first one uh, is the idea of taking a present walk. Um, in other words, take your headphones off. We talked about how important it is to pay attention to be present to God. And I was walking very early the other morning and I realized I had my earbuds in, I was listening to a podcast, I was thinking about what I was gonna do the rest of the day. There was a lot of noise and I wasn't present to God at all. And I looked up at the trees and the sky and it was just beautiful. I took my earbuds out and I felt like 
I really tried to be present to God, and, and what I felt like he reminded me of was the verse that says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just like he cared for the robin that I saw with his mouth full of little twigs that was making the nest. So I, my first thing would be take a walk truly present to God. Take your earbuds out. Take your headphones off. Can I just, uh, just jump in? Uh, this was not in the script, uh, but it just struck me I was in a foreign country this week. What struck me was how often children of all cultures are locked into this screen. How often mothers of all ages are locked into this screen because it's their connection to a larger world. And many of us almost get a little twitchy when we are unable to get online easily. That's part of what Laura's talking about. So take a walk present to God. The second is a praise walk. And I have done this alone. We actually did this not walking, but as a family around our dinner table. Um, If you have kids, this would be a great one to take a walk through your neighborhood and take turns going through the alphabet, spotting things to praise God for. So you might say, thank you, God, for the air that we breathe, for the beauty of this flower, whatever. Um, go through the alphabet, and if you're a family, take turns with all the letters and see if you can make it through the whole alphabet. The third thing is um, a listening walk. Um, When I go out, when I take a walk, I almost always say, Lord, what do you have to show me about yourself and about myself? Now, this is no big deal. It's no mystical thing. It's just so that I'm focused, so that I'm not just on autopilot. It helps me to pay attention to God. Lord, what do you have to teach me about yourself and myself? Now, rarely is there an immediate answer, but usually it's more like a photograph developing in a water tray that comes bit by bit. And, you know, sometimes I am uh, encouraged or convicted or whatever, uh, but I, I really like the verse in Jeremiah 33.3 that is a promise to me in this. It says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So sometimes it's immediate, but sometimes it's just a bunch of little reminders. And a couple of months ago, I was walking along the ocean and praying this prayer, Lord, what do you have to teach me about yourself and myself today? And I was noticing the waves crashing up against the shore and just the power of these waves and the power of God in nature. And I felt like what God whispered to me was, you can let the, the waves wreck you or refine you. You can let the waves wreck you or refine you. The waves are going to come. You know, hard stuff's going to come. Are you going to fight it or are you going to let God refine you? That was just a little thing. So, just three suggestions for action steps, but what I want to do that I pray will be a blessing and a place of connection for you now is to lead you through a little time uh, of spiritual reflection together. So, what I'm going to do is I am going to ask you to just relax, and if you're like me, if you look down, your hands may be clenched. (laughs) I'm going to suggest that you open your hands and just relax. And pay attention to your breathing. Just breathe in deep and breathe out and know that God is closer than your breath. And in a minute, um, we're going to uh, pull up some images of nature on the screens. And I am going to read one line of scripture to you that I pray that God will use to speak to you. And I'm going to read it repeatedly. I'm going to 
leave some words out each time and leave some time of silence after each time. And so I would just encourage you to be present to God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I, not you, Be still and know. Be still. Be. Amen.